If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. I appreciate you. Um, okay, so we had David Miller scheduled, Professor David, David Miller, I should slow down, scheduled today. Um, unfortunately, he has uh, asked if we can reschedule. I am working on nailing down a date on that with him. Um, so I apologize. We do not have David Miller tonight. Um, uh, I was very much looking forward to that interview, but we are going to get him rescheduled. Um, so uh, I will let you know when that uh, when we can nail down a date for that. He is obviously incredibly busy right now um uh he's getting a lot of requests there's a lot going on i'm sure he's more than a little overwhelmed so um uh we're gonna get him rescheduled um but there's a couple quick things i wanted to go over before we uh my just uh pasta is gonna be here craig jardula we've had him on numerous times we love pasta uh he has jumped in uh to be our fill-in guest for today he saved me um so we're gonna be bringing him in momentarily super pumped to have him here i love pasta um but there's a couple things i did want to get into before we uh dive into the show so um, first of all, <laughs> um, and I want to talk to Pasta about this, but the um, absolute freakout that continues to be taking place, especially in mainstream media, about Tucker Carlson going to Moscow to interview Vladimir Putin is, if you're not paying attention to it, it is endlessly hilarious. It is so ridiculous and over the top. I mean, I uh, we talked about this briefly with Benjamin Rubenstein yesterday, but there's calls of like treason and he's a traitor and mainstream media journalists are near tears on air talking about Tucker going to interview Vladimir Putin. It is so absurd. It is clown show stuff. Um, highly amusing. I don't know what I don't know what that is about, but the idea that anybody should be freaking out that a journalist and listen, I'm using that term loosely with Tucker Carlson. If you know me, you know, I don't trust him. I don't. There's no way, shape, form or fashion that I would be trusting Tucker Carlson. Dude was part of the establishment media for over 20 years. He's suspect at best. Um, but the idea that anybody would be freaking out over uh, any journalist anywhere going to interview a world leader is ridiculous on its face. Absurd. That is your job as a journalist. I mean, if that's the sort of journalism that you do, obviously there are many different forms of journalism, but if you are in um, the coverage of geopolitics or foreign policy or any of those things, um, that's something that you should be aiming to do. And in fact, we've seen numerous journalists interview controversial people um, who during times of war, all of that stuff that's happened many times before. This Tucker Carlson's not breaking any molds here. This is stuff that happens on a regular basis. So absurd. Uh, I did think it was funny that CNN uh, initially was trying to say that it was this terrible thing that he was doing. And then Christiane Amanpour came out and said, well, I tried to get an interview with them. So they're very much kind of contradicting themselves um, on the issue as well. It's But it is endlessly amusing. So I, for one, um, am very much looking forward to hearing from President Putin. I hope that Tucker Carlson, um, I hope it's not clipped up. I hope that it is just the full interview because any clipping that they do um, will cause people to, you know, the conspiracy theories will come and all of that stuff. But listen, Putin is an incredibly smart dude, right? He it, like him, love him, hate him, doesn't matter. Um, uh, he is an incredibly smart guy. And I think that he, I think honestly, the, the biggest reason why we're seeing such a major freak out about this situation is because um, uh, I think people are concerned uh, that Americans are going to hear what Putin says and agree with him on not just the issue of Ukraine, because obviously that's going to be a topic of conversation. I think there will be discussion about, um, you know, the 2014 coup, and there will probably be conversation about protecting um, uh, uh, ethnic Russians in Ukraine, protecting Russian culture, um, that kind of thing. But also there's probably going to be conversation, at least there should be, about NATO expansion, about the uh, numerous times a red line was drawn uh, and the United States and NATO crossed it. I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be plenty of conversation about that as well. I would hope so. Although again, I'm a little concerned about Tucker Carlson. Uh, we saw the interview that he did with Donald Trump is softball. I mean, and I'm not saying he will do that with Putin. Obviously, those are two different interviews, but um, I I'm just hoping it's not a ridiculous waste of an interview. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, but I think that the ridiculous and um, <laughs> overly dramatic freakouts that are happening um, when we haven't even seen the interview yet. I mean, there are, uh, I think Europe is calling for, uh, sanctions on Tucker Carlson. Why? I'm not sure. I think the EU called for sanctions on Tucker Carlson. Again, a journalist 
I mean, for years, decades, this guy has been in news and he is going to interview a world leader. I see no issue with that whatsoever. Zero, regardless of your opinion about Putin or Tucker Carlson. Um, those are conversations that should be happening and should be widely available for anybody to hear. And so, yeah, I think that they're just, they, this is a loss of control over the narrative. They're, it's going to be more difficult for them to spin. They don't have any control over what Putin's going to say or talk about or how he approaches it. So I think that that's really the freak out. So, um, but it is amusing. If you want to go see some, I think it was CNN earlier today, somebody was brought <laughs> near to, yeah, CNN, uh, She's near tears talking about Tucker Carlson interviewing Putin. <gasps> Find some pearls and clutch on my friends. Ridiculous. Seriously silly. Um, okay. Don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters as sarcasm stardust. Uh, check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. Write up for the guest of the day every day. And in fact, we did make the switch today from uh, Dave Miller to Pasta Jardula. Um, so updated guest uh, write up today on Substack, uh, including links so you can find, follow, and support his work as well. And then if you would like, shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea. I've gotten a couple more guest ideas. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love that stuff. Um, so I'm looking into those. Um, but it, just shoot me an email and I'll try to get back to you. And then while you're at it, why not give TNT uh, Radio a follow as well? We're on all the major social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Getter, yes. Uh, and you can help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. Hey, here's a shocker. New research, re research, I can't talk today, uh, shows that augmented reality headsets, which overlay digital content onto the real world, ready for this? It can cause negative health impacts. Who would have thunk it? Uh, here with this story, joining me now is TNT News, News producer Adam Clark, aka Ruckus. My friend, I never saw this coming. This is just shocking information. I'm going to call you a liar right here, right now, Misty. I'm betting anything that you saw this coming a mile away, didn't you? Um, Busted. Yeah, all right. So it, what's fascinating to me is that we don't we don't hear these stories. We don't hear about research or anything happening until it's like far too late. Because now, uh, in case you missed it, world, uh, folks are walking around in real life wearing these, uh, I think they're called Apple Vision Pro. Don't come at me if I got the name wrong because I could care less. But they are literally walking around in society. The the virtual reality zombies are among us. It is Clown World 2024. Uh, it's frightening. Uh, and apparently it's uh, not safe and effective, uh, but they'll probably yeah. tell us it is. Uh, according to a group of Stanford researchers, uh, they discovered something. Uh, what did they discover? Well, apparently frequent users of pass-through video and mixed reality headsets can often induce sickness, hinder depth perception, and cause social issues. Oh, joy. Uh, the researchers who described themselves as quote-unquote headset veterans Take that with whatever that means, I guess. Uh, they said they encountered significant hurdles when using them for, quote, relatively short periods of use, end quote. The 11 researchers spent at least 140 minutes in two or three sessions using Meta's Quest 3 headset. That's one of these popular ones. This one was released last year in 2023. As reported by SCNR, it's one of those technology uh, geeky kind of websites, uh, they reported that the participants engaged in normal activities like conversations, walking outside, cooking, and eating while, while wearing the, the headset. Uh, all headset users also had a, shopper, a chaperone living in normal reality to help keep them safe, apparently. Uh, James Brown, a co-author of the study, said, quote, we took an observational approach more akin to naturalists and really dove into the medium in an exploratory way, end quote. In their press release, depth perception and distances to objects appeared to be the most challenging for the headset users. Movements such as high fives or bringing a spoon to one's mouth proved difficult, even when the spoon appeared to have reached the user's lips. Interesting. Brown noted, quote, even though the world you were looking at is real, it certainly has a video game-like otherness to it, end quote. While the researchers soon learned to account for the distances, they were concerned that the overcompensations could cause lasting effects after prolonged headset wearing. 
Oh, my. Uh, Jeremy Balenson, a professor at Stanford, said, quote, the companies making these headsets want you to wear them all day. But what are the after effects and how long do they last? A plausible scenario could be walking down a flight of stairs and you miss a step or driving a car and you misjudge distances. And quote. I don't know if necessarily you should be wearing this while you're driving a car. That's just me. Uh, the visual after effects, as they're called, according to the study, included, here's where it gets really scary, lapses in judgments, in this case of distance. Uh, they also had simulator sickness and interference with quote unquote social connection, which is also referred to as, quote, social absence, end quote. This is kind of concerning to me. Uh, the social issues included inability to discern distant facial expressions and the simple fact that users can become absent from their surroundings. Balenson, uh, the professor, I believe, added, quote, people in the outside world become very absent as if we were watching them on TV. The person walking or cycling by or sitting near you didn't feel physically real, end quote. Whoa. Despite this, the study admitted that the technology is improving, of course, with every new headset, although it still falls short of a human's visual capabilities. Slower, grainier, and distorted were words that were used to describe some of the experiences, which sometimes cut off a large portion of a user's field of view. So let me just reiterate, I want everyone to understand, these are not like the, the full-on virtual reality goggles, they're augmented reality. So you're still wearing the goggles, you're still looking at the person, but what they're saying is when you're looking at the person through the goggles, you get this feeling that the person's not real. This is very crazy stuff, Misty, but what do you think about all this? What is so disturbing about this to me is that, I mean, it's not like they're being shy about it. They're calling it what it is, augmented reality, right? And I don't want my reality to be augmented. This is terrible. Like it, the, the idea that you start to lose kind of um, uh, social connections, that you start to be incapable of recognizing reality, that things in front of you seem not real, that this seems like a recipe for a freaking disaster. And I, listen, to be fair, I have not tried the uh, the augmented reality thingies i've done the um the meta quest thing um and listen it's fun like not gonna lie it's fun like the little games are cool it's cool that you can interact with your environment while you're inside the games listen beat saber so fun it is such a fun game like it is an amazing game but uh, i don't have an issue with it being a game something that you put on you play for 30 minutes or whatever and then you're off of it um but it's when it it, it is now it's far more than that and i've seen i don't know adam if you've seen there's been uh in recent days the last, I don't know, probably several weeks, it's been kind of a, a viral thing where we're seeing a lot of videos people are posting of people with these things on. Like there was a guy on the bus and he was literally typing um, in midair uh, with his little goggle thingies on. Uh, and that's, it's just so weird to see people so disconnected from their surroundings. Um, and that's what I think is most troubling to me. It's that it really, it, it seems as if the goal is to get us isolated and disconnected from each other. This is just another way in which they're doing that. Um, and I mean, listen, if you think digital ideas, bad, ideas or bad or CBDCs or whatever. Imagine if your entire existence is just inside this weird digital alternate reality thing that isn't real and doesn't make sense. And But that's, I mean, it's just, it seems as if that's where we're headed. And it's so bizarre to me, Adam. But what do you think? Oh yeah, no. This is this is worse than the Matrix. Yes. It's like you're yes. you're in the Matrix, but you're still in the real world. You're walking around. You're bumping into things. You're falling down stairs. Um, didn't Simpsons do this? I, I swear, Simpsons did this, Probably. where there was everybody walking <laughs> around in town. One of them falling down the manhole, bumping. Oh, uh, the bartender guy Mo bumping into a light pole. I remember that. Yeah, because they're just they're just immersed in their virtual augmented reality headsets and they could care less about what's really happening around them. How convenient for the world power elites, Misty. Um, I just fear it's going to get quickly normalized before you know it. I remember when it actually feels to me like it wasn't that long ago where it was actually rude for you to pull out your phone in the middle of like dinner or at a meeting somewhere. But when now it's like you go to these things and everybody's got it. It's now it's like you look weird if you don't have yours out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think we're going to see that happening with these headsets. And and that that's, that's the one I was referring to is the Apple Vision Pro. It has gone mega viral. It's popular. I don't know why Google Glass didn't get so popular. Remember that? They looked like just yeah. normal glasses. You had no idea that the people were wearing them. But people are embracing this weird, goofy, like space clown goggle thing. I don't get it.
I'll pass. I don't either. Yeah, I'll pass too. It's just, you're right. I think that that's um, the struggle is trying to prevent this from becoming normalized. And I, honestly, I feel like um, this is what it, it's like with everything else. It feels as if we're on um, like a, 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 an, unstop an unstoppable path at this point. It feels like we're so far behind uh, standing up against this kind of stuff. And it already has really essentially become normalized that it's, it feels as if it's going to be impossible to prevent it. And that just sucks. Like it, the idea that we're going to be all these very disconnected little robots robot type uh it, that just it makes me sad but it feels like it's inevitable at this point it's just i don't know all this stuff really terrifies me all the augments are, and I, like the games I, I i get it i like them too they're fun i don't want this to be my reality though again as adam said hard pass on that so um yeah i don't know it scares me okay anyways uh all right adam we will talk to you again tomorrow hang tight we're gonna be right back here on today's news talk tnt's pella neuroff taylor we, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means. Because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's see, it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world, meaning, well, they're guys we approve of. And then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroff-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. My name's Stacy. I'm 57, and I was adopted in 2020. We were adopted in 2019. And we were adopted in 2021. We had a house, um, and it sounds crazy, but it wasn't a home. The one thing that Jake and Emma brought is it became a home. When I met Dakota, he had just turned 14. You weren't there for the first this and the first that. I missed the first words, but we got a lot of other firsts. I'm watching her say, oh my God, I cannot believe I got my license. And she's like, I passed. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> See them grow. It is. They chose to love us. They didn't have to. They chose us. Family. You and you. Kids in the middle. What I thought was a complete life was nowhere near complete. <laughs> but it is now. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNT Radio Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. I'm very excited. My friend Pasta is coming back to the show. So he's been here several times. Uh, many of you may already be familiar with his work. Uh, he is an amazing independent journalist and election integrity expert who has traveled the world um, observing elections in numerous countries. Uh, he's done great work on that front. Um, uh, he also um, uh, just does incredible uh, just uh, all different kinds of uh, coverage of different stories, geopolitical stuff, um, election stuff, as we mentioned, free speech stuff. Uh, he's one of the best that's doing it. So you can check him out on the Convo Couch with his amazing co-host Fiorella Isabel. And of course, you can also check him out on his own channel. It's called Pasta To Go on YouTube and Rumble. And please, 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 if you watch nothing else that he has done, which you should watch all the things that he's done, but if you watch nothing else, please go check out the documentary Lahaina on Fire, The Aftermath. Um, he's working on some updated stuff on that as well. Uh, but part one is fantastic. It's I'm not going to lie. It's a difficult watch. Obviously, it's very uh, troubling subject matter, but it is just such a well done uh, piece of work and uh, everybody should go check that out. And please don't forget about the people of Lahaina as well. So pasta my friend thanks for coming back to the show well, thanks for having me on misty you're just too kind uh, i love when you introduce me you say so many nice things about me if i can get somebody like you. you to introduce me all the time <laughs> uh you know i'd be living on cloud nine <laughs> we all need a little personal hype man to walk around with us and help us through life i think that would be amazing actually like a little flavor flave that follows you around and hypes you maybe not flavor flave he's kind of annoying but you know what i mean somebody to just hype you up misty's going to the grocery store let's go girl you know what i mean like that would be great that would make things a little bit easier um okay so listen um first of all thank you for stepping in uh last minute i appreciate you so much for saving me there but um there's because uh it's kind of like uh just jumping in 
last minute. Uh, we don't really have anything planned to talk about. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, I definitely want to talk to you about Tucker Carlson because holy cow, the freakouts that are happening because Tucker Carlson is interviewing Vladimir Putin is amazing. It is so amusing and highly entertaining. Uh, I don't know if you saw earlier, um, some journalist on CNN was near tears pasta talking about Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin. What do you think about all this? It's ridiculous, right? It's totally ridiculous, but it does tell you uh, a tale of the times, right? Where we're at. Uh, you know, I'm one of those guys who's been demonetized for quite some time. On the Convo Couch about four years ago, since we do talk about elections, we did get demonetized. I mean, I guess that's what it's for. They're never specific about what it is. They kind of give you this whole laundry list. But I mean, uh, we got demonetized the day after AOC uh, told people to pretty much report anybody who's being mean out there. Uh, so, you know, deplatforming, cancel culture, that's where we are nowadays. And unfortunately, to convince a lot of good people out there, and I'm I'm speaking from experience, there's a couple of people I go to Latin America with that you mentioned earlier that are for deplatforming people just because they don't like what they have to say. And it's so, so dangerous. It leads into your work with Julian Assange and freedom of the press and freedom of speech and how important it is because, Misty, if we don't protect speech we don't like, they're eventually going to come after speech we do like uh, when the tables do turn, when somebody else is in power. So seeing what Tucker is is kind of going through is no surprise to me. Uh, at the end of the day, there's no accountability for the people who yell Russia, Russia, Russia. And they're using the old playbook because, quite frankly, they have nothing else to, to go off of, nothing uh, positive to talk about when they're talking about, you know, Joe Biden or the Democratic way or anything that's anti anti-democratic establishment. So there is no surprise to me whatsoever, but it is important we do see interviews like that. I'm very anxious and curious to see what he's got to say, and uh, I can't wait to watch it myself. Everybody should be anxious and curious about what he has to say. He's Vladimir Putin. And again, I'll say it again because I feel like I have to preface this every time because here come the people. I get my Twitter handle is uh, Comrade Misty as Putin's buddy. That's just a joke. I'm not really Vladimir Putin's buddy, nor do I like him. Um, I've been very clear about that. I don't like any world leaders. I don't think you reach that level of power without being kind of a psychopath. You have to be willing to do really horrific things to become the president of Russia, right? Um, so I, it's not like I'm a big stan of Vladimir Putin, but he is Vladimir Putin. He is the president of Russia. We are currently engaged in um, a very very tenuous situation. And I want to know what he has to say. And it's crazy to me uh, that the Ukraine situation has been going on for two years now. Um, and uh, we never get to hear from Putin pasta in the West. We do anything that we get from uh, that we hear from Vladimir Putin is either something that the mainstream media has clipped, edited, um, and is spinning terribly, or we get we have to go to like um, uh, find a way to watch it on RT or Sputnik or somewhere else like that uh, because it, it is impossible to find uh, speeches of Vladimir Putin's or hear anything about. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you know where to go, you can find it. But for the average American person, I don't think many of them have really even ever heard Vladimir Putin speak. So everybody should want to know what he has to say. He is the president of Russia. We are engaged in uh, whatever that is, a proxy war, but whatever you want to call it, a conflict, a war, whatever. Um, and I think everybody should be curious about what he has to say. So I just think that the yep. mainstream media freak out is endlessly hilarious. Okay, listen, we got to take a quick break and get some headlines. Hang tight, though. We're going to be right back here on today's News Talk. Turn on the news. I have a little news flash. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The House of Representatives voted against impeaching Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas with a close 216 to 214 vote over his handling of the border crisis. In the Nevada Republican primary, a significant majority of voters chose none of these candidates, dramatically outpacing former GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley and others in the field. The Deputy Prime Minister of Italy, Matteo Salvini, has called on lawmakers to implement chemical castration for criminals. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. All right, we're here with my pal Pasta, uh, and we're just having a little chat. Um, we were talking there about Tucker Carlson uh, interviewing Vladimir Putin, and there was uh, something that you said that I wanted to pick up on because I think it's important because you said that it really does kind of just speak to the t and it's we sound like such boomers when we say the times that we live in, right? Uh, but it yeah. really, I mean, it, it watching the way that the uh, media, that journalism, that speech in general has been under attack for really the past 
I mean, forever, but really the past 10, 15, 20 years, the increase in those attacks, um, the censorship, the shadow banning, the algorithms, the way that technology is being weaponized against us to silence us while um, presenting the, um, uh, giving us the perception that we actually are free to speak. We're not. Um, uh, and I think that it's just, it's so concerning to me and watching um, the way it's just been kind of normalized. Like it is just common conversation today that listen, that Tucker Carl Carlson is a traitor, that this is treason, Pasta, that he, uh, the EU is going to sanction him <laughs> for going yeah, and interviewing. Yeah. He's a journalist for going and interviewing a politician. I mean, it, I, it, but that's just been normalized at this point. I mean, what do you think about that? Because to me, that terrifies me. Well, the normalization part, really, we talked about that earlier. That's what scares me the most, right? That so many people are accepting of this because there should be more people, you know, uh, specifically on the left, too, as well, because those are my friends. Those are the people I was in the streets with when I was part of the Bernie Sanders movement. Uh, a lot of those people are downright OK with these tactics. So that does scare me. But more importantly, uh, for, for those of us out there who've been following the Ukraine war, the proxy war that is a proxy war against Russian, uh, Victoria Nuland just showed up in Kiev not too long ago because there was a spat between Zelensky and Zeluzny. Zeluzny is the top general in charge of the military. And Zelensky wanted to sack and fire Zeluzny. And Zeluzny told him, pretty much go scratch. It took Victoria Nuland showing up over there to correct the uh, record and say, no, 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 Zelensky's the one in charge over here. That should tell the people out there who's really running the show. Who's in charge and why we have this war over here? So what Putin has to say right now is so important. And not for nothing, if you have been following this whole situation, unlike you, right, where you say you don't like any world leader whatsoever, and we shouldn't praise anybody at any time. I agree with that. But I, I've always liked Vladimir Putin and the Russian Federation. I thought what he tried to do with the whole Ukrainian situation when he tried to go through Minx 1, Minx 2, he waited almost eight years with so much pressure from his, his citizens telling him, get involved, get involved, get involved. And all he ever did was in, refer to international law. Even in the situation with Gaza right now, the Russian Federation is like, listen, we're not going to really pick sides over here. But if we look at 1967 law... That says the Palestinians should have their own states. They shouldn't be blockaded, but not. So I admire that part of what Vladimir Putin does. And I think if we look at those things and look at them with a clear lens and have the ability to have people like Tucker or anybody, I would like to see Fiorella go interview Vladimir Putin for that, for that matter and stuff. But if we have those conversations and we understand where they're coming from, this is another nuclear power. I think we would have a more clear understanding as U.S. citizens of what's really going on and more importantly, what our foreign policy apparatus is doing in our name. Yes. And that is what is so, I think, um, frustrating for me is that the idea that anybody would be upset about being able to hear from Vladimir Putin is weird to me. Why would you not want to hear what he has to say? I think that that is, uh, I, I mean, I don't know what that is, actually. I mean, because to me, I'm curious. Like, I want to know um, his position on things. And I think that really uh, what they're most concerned with is that um, he's going to say things that make sense to the American people. He's going to call out our foreign policy. He's going to call out NATO expansion. He's going to call out a whole host of things that our government can't account for, that our government can't answer for, that our government has no response to. Uh, and I think that's honestly what is most concerning to them is that uh, he's a very intelligent, very very intelligent person regardless love him like him hate him doesn't matter this dude knows what he's doing that is clear um and uh, he knows how to present himself he knows how to have these conversations he knows and especially pasta in comparison to joe biden who is literally on stage talking about having conversations with dead people um yeah. That the stark contrast there, I think, is something that uh, they certainly don't want us to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that you know it's very obvious to me, and it doesn't take a genius to realize that the establishment, the majority of our lawmakers, you know, Congress has an eighteen percent approval rating, but yet they have a ninety percent retention rate. Uh, Yes. That's why I follow elections so hardly, so closely. But when you understand and you see what's going on, it's obvious to me that Joe Biden is working for his donors. He's working yeah. for the military industrial complex. The thing about Putin, Putin seems to be a nationalist, which I know that's a dirty word right nowadays, but he seems to be working for the people of Russia. And that's something yeah. I also think they don't want to, uh, us to see out there, to see a president actually representing the people rather than the donor class. And that's what they're really afraid of at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's probably a massive concern because um, 
uh, you know, and I, to be fair, I don't live in Russia. I don't have firsthand experience with his governing style. I don't have any idea of uh, how that, what that looks like. Right. So, um, uh, but I think that it is uh, going to be difficult for them to, again, that contrast of him, because I, I mean, I think that what you're saying is accurate. I think that generally speaking, and I'm sure that there are people in Russia who would disagree with those statements, but I think generally speaking, um, at least in terms of what I know about the uh, situation with Ukraine, um, the overthrowing of the Ukrainian government, the coup, all of that stuff. Uh, he's been warning uh, about NATO expansion for a very long time. In my opinion, just uh, as an observer from the outside, he's been incredibly patient, Pasta. Um, uh, and I think that that's smart. I think that it's much better to have a cool head and let the empire, um, you know, kind of, because listen, we are an empire in decline. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think that, um, you know, uh, Russia, China, Iran, there, I think that people see that coming. Um, and I think it's just so much easier to just keep a cool head um, rather than antagonize the wounded animal that's backed into a corner, the heavily armed wounded animal that's backed into a yeah. corner that is yeah. the U.S. empire. Um, so, but I, I think that you're right. I think that he has, um, uh, generally speaking, been uh, like, I think it, it's all about protecting Russia and its people. Um, and yeah, I think it, there's a huge contrast. We know that uh, in, in particular, the way Biden is being perceived. I mean, Biden's approval numbers are in the toilet. I don't think this interview is going to help. I think there's a whole host of reasons why they're concerned about this, right? Yeah, I and and you know, mentioning you mentioned China, Iran, Russia, you know, I sent you over an article that we can talk about right now. I keep telling people that you have to understand what's going on foreign policy-wise. It seems mm -hmm. like the Malthusians don't give a damn what happens to us, that they don't care if we have another world war and a lot of us die off. Hey man, the rich, the rich and the ruling class, their kids aren't going to go fight this war. It's all the poor and what's left of the middle class is going to go fight this war. But right now, Iran is doing joint naval exercises in the Oman yeah. Sea with Russia and China. So this Israel-Palestine situation isn't just about Israel-Palestine. And I made a tweet the other day. I'm like, hey, you can't be America first if you're going to be Israel first. We're fighting yes. their regional wars, and this thing could spin way out of control. At the end of the day, the neocons want to go after Iran. But Iran's not the same old, you know, what Americans think they are. They think they're primitive, throwing spears and rocks and whatnot. <laughs> it, it would be really hard to defeat Iran because of their landscape and their drone warfare and the way they would attack our naval fleet in the med they're going to use a bunch of small boats suicide boats the whole nine yards but more importantly they're now aligned heavily with russia and heavily with china china is invested 10 times more than they've ever invested ever into iran so they're just not going to just sit back and watch iran be wiped off and have a new leader put in place like they put with they implemented the shah the cia did after they overthrew their democratically elected leader mosaddegh in the 50s yeah Yes, you're 100% right. And listen, that's our MO. That's what we have. Uh, that's how we've conducted our business for many decades. Uh, we go into a country, we overthrow their democratically elected leaders, we install a puppet dictator, we take over the resources, we do, we use them as a puppet state. We've, I mean, and listen, that's, that's been done. And I think everybody knows what our MO is. And I think that, um, again, we are, we've seen empires collapse before. We know what it looks like. We know the, the, the red flags to look for when that situation is occurring. And we hit all of them all of the markers for a failing empire the united states could not be a bigger like flashing warning sign of course we are failing and so i, I mean again i think it is so much smarter for um you know the leaders of these governments to just sit back and let us mess ourselves up from the inside because that's what we're doing um and it couldn't be more clear and i think that that's exactly uh what somebody like a putin uh would be very mindful of and be, be very aware of because it couldn't be more obvious at this point so okay listen we have to take another, another quick break hang tight we'll be, we why can't i talk talk today. We will be back here on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data, at least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. And I've talked about this 
many, many times, you can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. We're here with my friend, Pasta Jardula, Craig Jardula. I call him Pasta. I'm sure you can call him Pasta too. He doesn't mind. Um, uh, check him out on the convo couch with Fiorella Isabel. Um, Fiorella's been on the show. She's fantastic as well. Um, and then also check out his own channel, as you can see there in his background, Pasta to go, the number two on YouTube and Rumble. Uh, go check it out, support. And again, please check out the documentary, uh, Lahaina on Fire, The Aftermath. It is uh, definitely a must watch uh, piece of work. Part and two coming out soon, Misty. Yeah, Part two coming you. out soon. Do you yes. know, do you have a, do you have a specific release date for that yet? Or just still tentative? Well, you know, when you talk about kicking yourself in the butt, that's what I did when I went to Hawaii. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of funny because we first started, we were part of this group, the MCSE group with Nico house and stuff like that. And I think you guys voted me the nicest guy of the group. And yes. it's something <laughs> I, sure. I really take to heart and I really, <laughs> I'm humbled by it. But you know, the first time I went out there, I didn't know anybody. And when I showed up, they were like, who is this Howley, which is the term for white boy, with a camera, you know, moving around over there. And I just introduced myself, whatnot. You know, I didn't film them until I got permission, but I had to make some connections. I made a lot of connections the first time out there. And I went there just 30 days after the fire. The second time I went out there, a hundred days after the fire, people had seen the first uh, documentary that I released, Lahaina on Fire, volume one, the aftermath. And there was a lot of people who now wanted to talk. There was more people opening to talk. So we talked to a lot of people. So I got so much footage that I really crammed my camera guy, editor, George Dawson out there, send a shout out that we're really trying to work to get it, uh, get it good. And the whole thing was, is our schedule was jam packed. If you've ever done any work like this before, trying to make a documentary, it was six days, Misty. When we got up, we hit the road early. We went from interview to interview, driving all around, but we couldn't compartmentalize like we did the first time. This time I saw I talked to somebody the first day who had some opinions about how the fire started. Then I went and talked to a survivor of the fire. Then I went and talked to a lawmaker the next day, the same thing. So it was so like kind of like zigzagged the whole, you know, uh, particular uh, footing uh, filming event. So we're trying to uh, kind of figure out, should we just do it in chronological order? Day one, day two, day three. Or do we do what we did last time, which was kind of compartmentalized? The groups of people, the survivors, the lawmakers, the the whatnot. So it's it's one of those things we're having so little trouble because we have so much great footage because I met yeah. so many people, so many great connections. And they're calling me, telling me to come back because there's some really serious housing issues. Um, some people might think, uh, Misty, that this thing is all said and done. But that's why I kind of went there. Cynthia McKinney. Uh, she was covering the Hurricane Katrina situation. And when the media, mainstream media packed up and went home, said nothing to see here, all these survivors were left behind and had no housing, nowhere to go, nothing to do. Cynthia McKinney took up the mantle, took it to Congress, tried to get attention to it. That's why I got my butt off, my, you know, butt off my seat and went and got some boots on the ground and did this. It's only the beginning of their story over there in Lahaina. They have not cleaned up properly. They are not breaking ground anytime soon. They are trying to figure out a way to deal with these survivors over there. There's almost 6,500 unhoused people 
of the fire. They're trying to figure out what to do with them. Housing is the biggest issue, but there's still a lack of transparency across the board, not just with the whole situation, the disaster itself, the, why, the reason why you know these people never got any answers, why the alarms didn't go off, why the water was turned off, why the cops were blocking people in. But right now, as they're doing work, there's still no transparency. The governor and the mayor uh, touted the fact that they were going to use the Army Corps of Engineers and hire local businesses for the cleanup and the restoration and the rebuilding of the process. Well, now they've hired these other contracted group out there, and this other contracted group seems to be using not locals, other companies from the mainland, and they're not releasing this information. So once again, across the board, the lack of transparency. So yeah. uh, we've highlighted a lot of that stuff. I'm in constant contact with people of Hawaii, uh, the housing situation, FEMA's trying to say, oh, we got people housed. You know what they're doing now, Misty? Landlords are throwing regular tenants out of their out of their units to bring in a, a fire survivor because it's more money and guaranteed money. Because I was saying, you know, what, what government should do in this situation is, is overpay. Overpay to get these yeah. people some housing. Hey, we overpay for military all the time. We overpay yep. for everything else. These corporations, you know what I'm saying? We give them so much money. We bail them out. Let's overpay for the citizens to get them housings. Well, they are overpaying. The only problem is they're creating another problem by throwing regular everyday tenants out of their household to get the new tenant in where they can make more money. So that problem is now happening in Maui. And it's just crazy. This thing has only just begun. Yes. And it's so frustrating to me because uh, nobody's talking about it. I, I see very little coverage of it. And I'm also I'm guilty of that as well. I haven't talked about it near enough as I should. Um, and that's what it's so frustrating because we have such a short attention span, at least in this country. I can't speak to anywhere else. It's it's it, I mean, it is impossible to hold anybody's attention for more than like a week, maybe two if it's a real juicy story. But generally speaking, a news story has a very short shelf life. Um, and uh, it, what's so frustrating about that is because in a situation like Lahaina or, for example, I I'm in Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio. Um, they're still dealing with that stuff. Nobody's talking about it. Everybody's just kind of moved on and forgotten that they exist and that these issues um, uh, exist. Uh, but it still exists and they're still dealing with it. And it's still um, this constant fight. Uh, and it's so fresh. And you're right. We overspent, like, what is it, like $900 for a flashlight through the in the military? Like they, it, we overspend on that kind of stuff all the time. Obviously, it's a grift. But I mean, it is just so frustrating to me that there's always money for bombs, pasta. There's never any hand wringing over over uh, whether or not we can send, you know, another billion dollars of bombs to Ukraine or uh, to Israel or whatever. But talk about housing and like helping Americans who were um, their lives were destroyed by this catastrophe, helping them actually do something good and get them into some housing. Nope, we can't have that conversation. In fact, we're going to clutch our pearls about how are we going to pay for that? How dare you even suggest that the government help the people of this country? And it drives me crazy, Pasta. It so thank you um, for going to Lahaina. Um, I'm sure it's uh, uh, I'm sure the second time was even more emotional. I'm sure that the first time, obviously, just seeing it, taking it all in, I'm sure was a lot to deal with. Um, I have some uh, like a uh, fire uh, trauma. I, I there's no way I could do uh, to, to go there. But I think that, um, yeah. you know, the second time was probably even harder because now you've started to develop those relationships with people. I'm sure you've yeah. you know had people that you've spoken to more than once. What that what is that? What's that like? What's the um, uh, the emotional toll, the impact that you that you've seen in Lahaina? Well, you said the key word there, Misty. Trauma. People are yeah. dealing with serious trauma. Now, a lot of people still haven't talked about, you know, the fact that they've lost loved ones. There's still people who are dealing with that trauma and haven't spoke to the media, haven't spoke to anybody yet. So we're still dealing with that right now. But the people who are starting to speak, they're dealing with some serious amounts of trauma, right? Just imagine you leave your house one day, you leave your business that day because you hear there's a fire. Uh, and, and these are for the people who survived. And, and people aren't talking about the suicide rate that is yeah. shot up over there in Maui. It's They're trying to keep that under wraps and saying it's drug usage or whatnot. No, they're using the drugs as the way to kill themselves because they, they feel like they have nothing to live for. You leave your house, you leave your work one day, you, you try to come back, you're not allowed into the area, you're not allowed into your zone, and everything you know, whether it be your house or your business, is gone. You didn't get to say goodbye. You don't get to say hello again. It's just gone. And there are people there who don't have a job to go to, a house to go to. They have nothing left. They might have lost a loved one. And so a family every day is leaving the island. And that was the most important thing when I showed up to express out there is how do we help these people there today? Yeah, we could talk about it till the cows come home on how this sucker started. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to talk about the fact that it was years in the making to turn Lahaina into a tinderbox, years of water diversion, which turned a green land into a brown land. But yeah. 
what are they dealing with right now? What do the people really need right now to help out? And I was able to highlight some of the distribution centers and some of the people who are helping out and the survivors and get them money directly. So you didn't have to go to The Rock or Oprah. Oprah. But I mean, the trauma <laughs> that they're dealing with right now, it is sad. And they're going to be dealing with this trauma for years to come. And unfortunately, even though we tried to help a lot of these people stay on the island, especially the indigenous people, the locals and stuff, just help them stay right there because what we see is a very well-managed, orchestrated gentrification. There's no no doubt about it. The, the, the yes. bigwigs there, the investors, the government, they want these people gone. So we're trying to help these people stay there. But unfortunately, right now, we have a family every day leaving Lahaina. I just talked to somebody yesterday in Maui, and it's just so sad. So the word of the day when it comes, and it's going to be the word for quite some time when it comes to Maui, when it comes to Lahaina specifically, trauma. They're dealing with some yeah. serious, serious trauma. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. Um, uh, you know, it, it, and it, it, you're right. It's very frustrating because it, it is very apparent to me. And again, it doesn't matter how you think the fire started. If you think that it was started intentionally, if you think that it was allowed to continue intentionally, if you think that it was legitimately weather related, if you, it doesn't matter. It does. It's irrelevant. It is irrelevant. What is reality is that this situation, this um, uh, horrific event that has taken place is now being used as disaster capitalism. And we have all of these investors and all of these real estate scumbags swooping in there uh, definitely taking advantage of the situation, taking advantage of people at their absolute lowest um, and uh, manipulating them and tricking them and you name it. And it's so gross to me, but I want to uh, like pick up on something positive that you said, because you talked about like the distribution, the distribution centers and the, the people that have stepped up. And I think that it's unfortunate that, um, you know, we, we generally only notice it in times of crisis, but I think that something that gives me a teensy weensy bit of hope about this country is that when something terrible happens, we have a really good habit of just helping each other regardless. Like it's not like, uh, you know, right now everybody's very divided. Everybody hates each other. And, you know, you've got the Trump versus Biden and the, uh, you know, everybody hates immigrants and everybody hates trans people and everybody hates conservatives and everybody hates each other. Right. But I think that in those times of crisis, we've seen where this country comes together. And I think Lahaina is a great example of that. And I think um, in particular there, because the culture, I think it, it's, I mean, it's part of the United States, but I think culturally it is very different, um, especially the indigenous communities. They are, it is all, all about community for them and i think that it's yep. even stronger there on a on a regular basis and so um that i think is the positive thing is to see the way that um so many people in lahaina um have stepped up and they are helping and i realize that that's you've talked about this it's complicated there's different differing opinions on how to do what and when and where and who gets to take care of this and all of that stuff and that's normal um, but I do think that it is uh, seeing the way that people are stepping up to help their neighbors. I think that that's at least something um, slightly positive, which it's weird for me to think positively. But there you have it. <laughs> you know, I'm, it. I'm the same way, Misty, but it was really <laughs> intriguing. And it was it was awesome to see that. Right. At the end yeah. of the day, governmental issue, governmental programs were slow, dragging their feet, Red Cross, yes. FEMA. And I'm not going to get into like the specifics and bashing them or bashing the mayor or bashing the governor. You know, they have their own uh, fish to fry over there, too, as well. And, and they're going to have to answer for what's what happened, uh, you know, on that particular day. But, you know, to see these people pick up and step up and help each other out. And I used to say this, the locals, the indigenous, the Haoles, all these people in the community of Hawaii, they said, you know what? If they're not going to help us, we're going to help each other. And they set up these distribution centers and they went to work, making sure that people can just get the basic needs. And it, it was something that's really seen. That's something we highlighted in our film. So thank you so much for promoting it. And I and I encourage people to go watch Lahaina on Fire Volume 1, The Aftermath on Pasta to Go, because you will see that. That was one of the most encouraging things things out there and you see those same group of people the leaders of the distribution center meeting together to form something called uh lahaina for fishing for lahaina or fishing for housing and they're using these laws these ancestries laws that says if you're fishing on the beach you can stay over at night so what they did is they got a bunch of fishing poles put them in the water and the leaders of this distribution group took all the people and they hunkered down on the beach and they said we're not leaving until you address this housing situation they're still hunkered down there the situation hasn't been fixed, but seeing those same people from the distribution centers do that, amazing. And we highlight that in the second film.
Yeah. And that's, um, uh, I think that that was like the, the first part, part one of, uh, Lahaina on fire is again, like I said, it is hard to watch, like watching people, other human beings go through a situation like that. People that have lost loved ones and really just lost everything again, everything, everything that they knew their house, their business, their job, their way of life, their every day, everything has been completely upended. And so watching that is always difficult, but I think that, um, you do a great job and I'm not surprised because you are, like you said earlier that you're the nice guy like you're the positive guy and i think that that's what's so great about the fact that you went there is because yes you're pointing out the awful things that these people are dealing with the horrific situation that they've been put in but you also um uh, really find the humanity i think which i think uh, a lot of people need to be exposed to more because even in like uh, hurricane katrina like there we saw the devastation but it was very um detached it, it felt like in mainstream media coverage which is not surprising but that's why we need independent journalists we need people like you to go um, and not only cover the issues that are at hand, but also show the the human side, show uh, the way that this impacts people. Because I think that we've just gotten so detached from that. And it's it, it, it's sad, but I think that that's just where we're at. But that's why um, uh, I'm so glad that you went. And it, also, um, uh, I'm sure raising so that you can finish up part two and then make, uh, you know, return trips. Uh, where can people donate if they would like to donate to that work? Well, they can go to pasta to go. We're currently updating all the links. There is a Lahaina on fire volume two uh, give send go that we have that's listed there below. Uh, so they can go over there and put, put a few bucks over there too as well. And you're right. We are still fundraising. Uh, I got to pay my editor. He's been working so hard in the lab looking at all this uh, footage. So uh, we'll have that up and I'm going to be creating a new pasta to go give send go soon as well. And uh, go fund me and all those links right there where you can help independent media do the job that we you need us to do. You know, it's about boots on the ground. None of this armchair journalism anymore. We got to get our butts up and get out there because the mainstream media is not doing it purposely. They're just feeding us their propaganda. So yes, just go to pasta to go the YouTube channel. I have a rumble channel, check it on out and you can find all the links there to help us out. Yes. And please support independent journalists who go on the ground and do these things. Because again, we don't have that kind of, like the mainstream media is not going to go to Lahaina and talk to people. They're just not, they're not going to dig any deeper. They're going to just regurgitate whatever state or local officials tell them to regurgitate and they're moving on. They've already moved on. And so we need people on the ground uh, to cover these stories and to make sure that, you know, these people don't get for forgotten. And I can't imagine, like you talked about putting together, I, I'm so indecisive. There is no way I could be an editor. I would be agonizing over what to include what not to include where to add this and when to i could not so shout out to your editor because that seems like a really impossible job having all of that amazing footage and trying to figure out how the hell to piece it together in a way that makes sense and that is cohesive and that tells the story and that does it justice i am feeling anxious just thinking about it i don't like it at all so um okay <laughs> awesome. we are out of time um uh, do you have anything else coming up is there anywhere else people can follow you can find you uh what do you got going on right now well, pasta to go, the number two, like you said, and there's new new YouTube channel. We've been about four or five shows. We're still working out the technical issues. Like I got to work on the lighting today because I can see little things on my face, but we've upgraded everything in the studio. We got a nice background. I got a small team and we're going to be rocking it every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, pasta to go on the YouTube, on the Rumble, and just come check us out. We're going to just do, uh, do what I normally do. Uh, this time I'm running solo. I might have a couple co-hosts. Uh, but uh, this is my new thing. Every coming out of the Jimmy Dore show and doing some work for Kim Iverson, hosting her Love show, it. and big ups to her for allowing me to do that. Uh, yeah. This is the new pasta over here, and I'm just going to try to take it to the next level and do the best I can. So please come to Pasta it. to Go. Everybody go check it out, please, and thank you. All right, I got to get out of here. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now. Pasta, thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow. Hang tight, Timothy Shea, after this.